Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We want to do specifically tonight a brief case study on the life of Joseph. Um, I had intended to study and preach tonight. I have studied, but to preach concerning our blessed state and using Abraham as a case study and a model. But we're going to do that in two weeks' time. It's just a most fascinating thing. And I think the Lord has just unveiled to my own mind, studying it the past two days or so, um, how that we, the blessing of Abraham, Galatians 3 teaches, the blessing of Abraham will come to rest upon all Gentiles, but in Christ Jesus. So if we are to understand how favored we are, you've got to understand what kind of blessing rested on Abraham. But that's a forthcoming attraction. Okay, a preview of a forthcoming attraction. So come in for the main showing. Okay. What I want to do now is just look at Joseph's life as an example of how preferentially he was engaged by God. The preferential treatment and the blessing of the Lord upon this man in the time and era in which he lived and how that he was able to be a steward of the will of God for his era and even beyond his era, for his time and even beyond his time. One of the overriding principles whenever we think of the favor of God, if we are going to be favored and to really harness and access the fullest potential of the degree to which we are favored, we have to be people of purpose. Purpose becomes a key principle for accessing the totality and experientially in a subjective fashion walking in the favor of God. People without purpose, people without a mandate in God really get to fully explore the fullest ambits of the favor of God upon their lives. Remember, grace not, is not only attending you to form you into sonship. Grace is also meant to empower you for function. So if you don't have that element of, I need to function or do something relative to the purpose of God, there's a quantum and a quality of grace that will never come to you because God knows you will never use its fullest intent to get the job done, to do His purposes. So I always want to encourage you not just to be a normal Christian, not just to be a church attendee. You're simply coming to, to mark yourself present. You're simply coming to attend and yes, be blessed and be maintained spiritually. The mandate of this house is it goes beyond maintenance. It goes to the exploration of doing the will of God in the earth today. I want to encourage you, seek to become a maintenance-free Christian. Where your engagement with me as your leader is not so much I need Randolph as a spiritual father or a pastor to maintain me in the Lord. 
But this relationship has got to grow to a place where I've become so strong under spiritual fathering that now I position myself as a strong support like David's men did toward him. Okay, Where they come to him, the Bible says they gave him strong support. Okay, Please know this. I as a spiritual father will always be here for you. Come hell or high water. But the entire intent of the spiritual father-son dynamic is to form strong sons. Right? To, to form mature sons in the image and the nature of Christ himself. Sons who in their time can steward the will of the Lord. It's about being a facilitator and a pusher of the purpose of God that we want. You know, I want to live in the earth, and it must be said of you and I, it was recorded of them in the heavens that in the length of time they lived on the earth, the entirety of their life served to facilitate a purpose of God in the earth. They did not live their life unto themselves. A greater purpose attended their, their life. You know what it says concerning the Lord Jesus? In First Peter, there's a verse. It says, He suffered in the flesh. Right? So that He would no longer live His life unto the flesh, but He would live His life unto the will of God. Now, you either live your life unto yourself, or you live your life unto a higher calling. Right? A higher purpose. So it's for those of us that look to that higher purpose, I'm suggesting to us today, the, God will offload upon you certain benefits, certain favors, certain grace um, downloads, because you are purpose, a, a person of great purpose. Okay? So tell your neighbor, become a person of purpose. Later on in the series, it looks like we're going to take the series into next year. But later on in this grace theme, I will share with you how that when a son comes under the fatherly oversight of someone that God put in your life, your purpose is subsumed into a broader macro overarching purpose. It's subsumed into that. Okay? It's not like you don't have a unique purpose that's unique to you in your time. But what you do uniquely to you must have bearing to the overriding, overarching purpose of your spiritual father in the Lord. Okay? So what I do personally is never ever divorced from reach, resource, reform. A mandate vested in my father. There's no disconnection between that overall overarching mandate. When I think of the life of Joseph then, is he not a man of purpose? Is it not he lives life, but it's said of him, his key is a key role player to the unfolding nature of God's purposes, not just for his person, not just for his domestic family, not even for his broader family, other brothers, and his father Jacob, but even for the entirety of the whole world, this brother becomes key in the unfolding nature of God's purposes. So tell you never become a Joseph. Speak prophetically even as I speak today. So all these things I've said up to now, not here. Listen carefully. I really believe God is calling us to 
Like Joseph, it says his branches ran over the wall. Remember? His reach and his impact and influence went way beyond the immediacy of his present environment. Think global. Think a larger sphere of impact. And you might say, Randolph, these things are so far-fetched. I speak to you prophetically. When I review all my prophecies, all my prophecies from as far back as 1986, which is how many years ago? 30 years ago, right? It's 2016. I have a long, hardcover, three-choir book. Full. The whole book is full of prophecies. All typed out. I stuck the pages in. You would ask me way back then when I received some of them. There's Elena as a witness. Elena has watched me grow up in the Lord from, from day dot. Okay. And she's seeing me now here. Rick, ask her. Some of those prophecies at the time of their delivery, I was saying, no way, Jose. This ain't going to happen in my time. I can't see how is this going to. In that book, I got red ticks. Whenever something comes to pass, like I'm marking it. There are some questions over some prophecies. I've got a big question. You know, what about, I'm not sure about this, right? I want to encourage you, stay the course. So when I say to you now, Dennis, for example, if I say to you, your ambit is going to be global. Sometimes we sit in our present circumstance and we say, how can these things be? Remember what Mary asked the angel. I don't know, you, you telling me I'm going to become pregnant, bear this Christ child. She asked the question, how can these things be? What is the process in which this will unfold? I want to encourage you, don't fear and don't doubt. Don't fear and don't doubt the process because God has got your destiny in hand. God has got your destiny in hand. Um, Lindsay, don't mind me using this as an example. I think of Lindsay's testimony here. Kyle's not here because he's working late. I think of Lindsay's example how uh, sometime we must have a testimony day here. The people like you must stand up and so that the rest of the congregation knows. You know when David, David said this, he brought me out of a horrible pit and he's put my feet on a solid footing. Right? And I'm sure to some degree or another we all have that kind of testimony. God is in the business of making us not just productive people, but purposeful people. I'll submit to each of you tonight, you're going to have a purposeful, strategic contribution Say that again. Listen carefully. Listen with your spirit, not with your mind. You're going to have a purposeful, strategic contribution to the unfolding nature of God's purposes, not just for the immediacy of your present environment, but for the global aspects regarding God's will. Right? Never, ever in, underestimate what's done in infancy or in microcosm, in smallness. Boaz marries Ruth. Right, little love story in a domestic circumstance. But they produce Obed, a boy who produced Jesse. Jesse becomes the father of David. From the Davidic line in the tribe of Judah, the Messiah is born. Never ever underestimate even what happens in a small domestic setting. It might be a private love story you're reading about in the book of Ruth. But the, the ramifications are global and they are far-reaching. Thank God that Boaz married Ruth. You wouldn't have been here today. That's how serious it is, right? So tell your neighbor, be careful who you marry. Okay. 
You never know. You never know what God is up to. Never know what God is up to. Uh, we counseled uh, Kyle and uh, Lindsay on was it Monday, was it? and um, it, part of the thing, part of the counsel went. It was amazing, prophetic time. We really sensed it was an hour or so, and that prompted that little post I sent to you about marriage. Right from immediately after that session, that, that the way the Lord just flooded that room with, with ideas and His plan for marriage was amazing. Right. You either you can decide on what what level you get married. You can decide what will this what will this marriage tend to mount to. And we challenge them: let your marriage not just be romantic, but let it be representative of the love that Christ has for His church and the way in which the church should then submit to Christ to accomplish as the church. His aspects and His will in the wider kingdom of God. Okay? Hallelujah. Because he who finds a wife, come on, quote the scripture, he who finds a wife, finds a good thing and does what? Obtains the favor of God. Right? So when favor tends, favor tends not just to bless you, favor tends you to accomplish purpose. I want to challenge everyone. You know, I just feel this so strongly. I haven't started this thing yet, but I feel this so strongly. Become a person of purpose. Let your life count at the end of the day. In other words, when you die, people must miss you. When you die, they must not say, thank God, that one's over. You know? When you die, they must say, wow, this brother, that sister. He was so key to pushing certain aspects of God's will. Let's say for this community, right? And I'm challenging you, don't let it only be for the immediacy of your biological family. Now the Lord said, it's your branches are going to grow over the wall. Right? Your branches. You know what it says of David? Acts 13, 36. It says, now David, he served his generation by the will of the Lord, and then he slept. He died. What a legacy. What a testimony. Served his generation by the will of the Lord, and then he died. Amen. Genesis 37, 2 to 4. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. When 17 years of Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Seventeen years old, pasturing the flock together with other sons. And he comes back to Jacob to give them, give Jacob a false report about the level of responsibility that the brothers are exercising over the flock of their father. Right? Please, as you go along, if you're making notes, you should be uncovering keys to favor. What are the precipitators of favor upon the life of Joseph? Right? He's not telling on his brothers. Don't get the wrong impression. He comes back to his father and he gives a bad report about the manner in which they are fathering daddy's flock. What does this tell you about Joseph? He highly prioritizes the passion and the purpose of his father. 
And when he sees his father's endeavors or his father's priorities, in this case, his father's assets, wealth, because in that economy, their wealth was by their livestock, right? Is being mismanaged by brothers. He, out of deep concern, he comes back and he's only 17 years old to report the matter to, to Jacob, okay? Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a varied colored tunic, a multicolored coat, right? His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him even the more and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Jacob gets this evil report about the manner in which brothers are taking care of daddy's business. The report of Joseph to Jacob indicates to us that he's intensely passionate that his father's affairs be well managed. He's reporting on the irresponsibility of the brothers, not to show them up, but his passion is to be a protector of his father's interests. When Jesus took a whip, and he drove the money changers out of the, the temple. He, he, he toppled the tables and he drove them out. What did he say? He said, you people make my father's house. A house, not a house, a den. The house translates to a den. A den of thieves. But it is written, my father's house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it says there, the zeal of my father's house has consumed me. So whenever a son sees the father's house being abused for, for, for purposes that are selfish to sons, mature sons rise up and they drive that self-indulgent, self-interest spirit out of the house. Because that spirit translates the house to a den or a cave of thieves okay so jesus similarly like joseph rises up to protect he protects the the culture and the character of his father's house by driving any spirit out of the house that threatens the father's interests for the house okay now it says here that jacob loved joseph more than any of them because joseph was the son of his old age. Joseph was the son of his old age. Now, old age could be interpreted as mature. How many of you parents felt like your first child had a disservice compared to the last child? <laughs> because when the firstborn came, you were relatively immature compared to when the last one came. And you wish that you had the maturity when the last one was born as when the first one was born. Right? I wish I was far, I'm far more mature now handling Luke and Ray than when Matthew and Liam. We were still learning a few things. Joseph is the son of Jacob's mature years. Don't think old as, yes, it's in natural terms, it's aged. Right? But it's Joseph receives the benefit of a fatherly oversight in maturity. Yeah? In maturity. One of the greatest assets in the world today 
is to have a mature spiritual father. It's a rarity. It's a pearl of great price to have someone watch over you who has gone through the mill and has come to a place of new maturity in Christ. Let me just say this. It takes years and years of God's dealings with a man to mature a man from infancy to maturity. When a man reaches maturity, value him. Because to get that kind again will take a long time. To get that kind will be very difficult. Very, very difficult. So cherish and, and nurture that. Okay? But you know where it says Jacob loved him more than the others. Right? Naturally speaking, you could, you could view it as Joseph is the favorite. But do you know what I think? Joseph, Jacob was acting prophetically. Because if you examine the Hebrew word for multicolored coats, or as this version says, very colored tunic. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew indicates it to be, yes, multicolored, or multi, which implies multi-graced. A grace configuration that is, that is, that is variegated. Not one particular strength, but a host of strengths locked up in one person. Right? But specifically, the Hebrew indicates this. It's a coat of, a, like a long tail coat. It's not like, like a jacket we wear. It's not like these long tailed or long coats of the Americans. They, they love to wear those long things, no? especially when they preach. Okay? This is a long coat, almost like a trail. So imagine now. 17 years old, walking around and relating to brothers that hate you. They see you as you're the one who tells on us by dad. In other words, listen carefully. There's a Joseph kind of son who by his very disposition shows up the inadequacy of others. Just by the way he's wired. Right? I want to encourage you in this season, you don't need to tell on the brothers. Just by your disposition, you will show up in adequacies in others. Without you having to say, you'll become a standard and a testimony to them. How many of you had this experience? You're in, the, you're in the company of some people who are so accurate, they show up your inaccuracy. And they don't have to say a word. Just your interaction with them tells you, I need to grow up in that area. Right? I need to work on this. Just by how they represented in certain dimensions. Okay? Joseph is that kind. So imagine him walking around with this multicolored coat, and the coat follows him wherever he goes. Now, biblically in Hebrew culture, remember what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. He said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and the Lord was high and lifted up. Then Isaiah said, the length of his coats, or his train, filled the temple. The length of a coat signified the, 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 the degree of honor, regality, and dignity attributed to the individual. So what is Isaiah saying when he says, the length of his coat for the temple? Isaiah is saying, everywhere I looked, I saw this coat. I saw this length of train. I saw his glory everywhere. Does Joseph have, have a glory? How old is he? Come on. He's 17 years old. I won't get into the symbolism of the number 17 right now because I want to get onto other issues. But it's significant, the number 17. Right? So the father attributes honor 
dignity to the son. You know why prophetically? Because Jacob, either knowingly or unknowingly, was bestowing firstborn status upon Joseph. He was regarding, although Reuben, of the twelve brothers, Reuben was firstborn in time, but Joseph would be firstborn in rank. Remember, the Bible says Reuben was displaced from his firstborn status. Why? Because Reuben slept with one of Jacob's concubines. And he violated protocol and he lost firstborn privilege. It's in the Bible, he lost firstborn status. That honor of being the first amongst the brothers fell upon Joseph. I'm here to inform you, church. I really believe the firstborn honor and status is upon us all. Tell your neighbor you're firstborn. You're firstborn, right? You're firstborn. And listen carefully. Although all sons of God, all sons of God, wherever they are, are firstborn sons of God in Christ, they will always be the first amongst brothers. That's a concept which I will share with you later on. Um, you know what the Bible says about Jabez? We all like to pray the prayer of Jabez, not so? Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from all evil, right? Bless me indeed, enlarge my, my territory. But the previous verse, before he makes that request, says this about him. Now Jabez was more honorable than all his brothers. Then he makes the prayer, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Next verse says, And the Lord answered him. Right? I want to encourage you. There's a place of greater honorability amongst brothers. It's not ambition to seek it. It's a gracious bestowal upon the Lord because God requires a first amongst the group not to elevate one above the other, but for functionality, God needs someone to model as a standard the pattern before the others, not to, to elevate the one, but to lead the others into the same order. God requires a first company, right? All God's firstness principles. If there's a first amongst others, the first principle doesn't suggest the others are less than the first. The first means God simply needs a standard. Somebody to go forward to showcase to the others what they need to come into, right? So tell your neighbor you're the first. First, first. So we are firstborn. Some things about Joseph, remember he forgave his brothers. Remember initially he forgot his, his father's house. I share this with you. That's why he, his first son was named Manasseh, which, whose name means to forget. Right? He forgot the evil of his brother and all the negative dealings with him, but he also forgot his father's house. Until the brothers came to him down from Egypt in the midst of the famine, it was only when he saw them that his memory of Jacob was provoked. Never allow the bitterness of a brother to cause you to forget a father. Never allow the dealings of a brother to so depress you, you disconnect from the heart of your father. This can apply to spiritual fathering and sonship. I've seen this so often. 
sometimes in the congregation, one brother has an issue with another brother. And that, that causes disconnection from the, the father principle. That must never happen. Okay? Now, um, he forgave his brothers, not so. So here's the forgiving man. Everyone say forgive quickly. That's another key. You see, the favor doesn't just rest on Joseph. There, there, there are certain characteristics within him. Right? I've just mentioned he's firstborn in his thinking. He preserves and heightens and has high priority over his father's will, his father's interests. He tells on the brothers not to show them up. Right? His whole disposition is, I'm going to nurture to come hell or high water. Daddy's interests take preference. Yes, he does allow in that when in Egypt, he completely forgets that whole environment. But it took the coming down of the brothers to activate and cajole his, his memory. Get back with the, with the program, Joseph. And his first executive decision after reconciliation with the brothers was get Papa down here as quickly as possible. Bring Jacob down here so he can give oversight and administration to my role as prime minister of Egypt. Right? Get, get daddy down here as quickly as, as possible. So I want to encourage you. You know, these are, I'm rehearsing. So please tell your neighbor, forgive your brothers. Forgive your brothers. You know, you know, I've done a whole extensive series on forgiveness. We're busy editing that now at the moment. It'll be up on the website shortly. And I'm still surprised people struggle with this. Right? No, you've got no excuse. I taught you. you. Better you haven't heard the message, but you heard. You heard the whole series. Right? Now when the, the chips are down and, and your brother offends you, you literally have to walk in forgiveness. You want this thing, fa you, want, you want favor. You like that F word. Like the other F word too. This F word called forgive. Tell you a little bit F. Yeah, forgive. Right? Forgive. So he embodies this. Look at Genesis 39 verse 1 to 6. Yeah, better race on, right? Genesis 39, verse 1 to 6. Right? Are people still struggling with forgiveness? It's one of the most powerful things to mature in your walk in God, to ratify and get over this thing of, it hurt me so badly. There's no way in which a son of God can ever claim to be most like God until he can forgive like God. There's no, there's no tick next to your name in terms of characteristics that make you God's son in the earth. You can be like God in so many respects, right? Tick, 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 I'm like him there. But when you can forgive like he can forgive, then I believe there's no other expression where you are most like God when you can forgive like God. Okay, so forgive. Genesis 39, 1 to 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the bodyguard brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Everyone say the Lord was with Joseph. And I like this. And made him to become a successful man. Without the presence of God, we're not going to know our blessed, favored position in God. Okay? Never ever disesteem the fact that God is with you. That our success comes from where? Our success comes from? From God Most High. 
I like this. The Lord was with Joseph and made him to become a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. This is Potiphar. Everyone say Potiphar. Right? This is Potiphar. Previously we read, in Jacob's house, Joseph is favored. In Potiphar's house, Joseph is favored. Let me just say this. Take a favored person to any environment. The favor of God in that person will always ascend him, will lift him up. Right? Environments don't depress favor. External environments cannot challenge your blessed state in God. Okay? So I want to encourage you. I'm just picking this up now in the spirit. Don't, don't let your environment dictate in your mind the limit to which God can bless you. In fact, the opposite is true. Your environment becomes blessed by virtue of your presence. Right? Your environment becomes blessed by virtue of, of your presence. Okay? So it says... Um, Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. People are going to notice that God is with you. Right? There will be an unmistakable recognition like the king of Babylon had of Daniel. The spirit of the living God is in this man. Okay? And um, how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Whatever Joseph touched turned to gold. And even Potiphar, an Egyptian officer in, in, in Egypt's government, recognizes this man is so successful because of the presence of God in him. Verse 4, Joseph found favor in his sight. Okay? Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned and, put, and he put it in his, in his charge. Okay. Verse 5, it came about that from that time he made him oversee in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Environments are blessed because of you. Potiphar must have been very glad he employed this brother, Joe. Because he says, he suddenly realizes my whole environment now becomes blessed and favored because of Joseph in our midst, okay? And on account of Joseph, and thus the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in the house and in the field. Potiphar becomes a, a, a stark realization, grabs him. Everything I own now is blessed by virtue of Joseph's employ in this context. You need to go to your company manager tomorrow and say, you better not fire me. You don't realize what I represent here. Hey, Sheldon, meat and all. You're going to say to the brother, boss, you better know what I represent. I'm just joking with you. Don't, don't do this now. <laughs> but this is your mentality. This environment becomes blessed because of my presence. Have you ever seen sometimes when a person leaves an environment, how the thing just folds and becomes doom, gloom, and darkish? When grace leaves the building, disgrace enters. When favor leaves, disfavor comes in. So I want to encourage you. Also, if you are favored, listen carefully. Seek to serve the interests of those that have employed you to the best of your ability. Joseph is not a shirker. He doesn't come late to work, this brother. He's meticulous. He's excellent. Romans 16, 19. Take this verse down. One particular version says, be 
excellent at what is good, but be innocent from evil. That says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. But that kind of authority comes to a person that is excellent at what is good. You must not just be excellent in spiritual things. In the normality of your day-to-day tasks at work, they must say of you, nobody keeps the books like that bookkeeper. Your potiphers must know of you. That's a person of excellence. Surely the spirit of the living God is in her or is in him. Yes, you can have this testimony. In fact, God put you in your workplace as an excuse for him to show up there. You are God's excuse he needs to impact your environment. How else are you, is God going to visibilize himself to your colleagues except in and through you? So stop complaining about your work. Tell your neighbor, stop complaining about your work. Job satisfaction for the Son of God, the issue of job satisfaction, is not derived from the job itself. Right? It's derived from the joy of the Lord in you as a son as you serve the interests of your boss in that environment. And we don't serve him as a man, please. The Colossians says we are faithful unto him as serving the Lord. Okay? As serving the Lord. Amen. So Joseph, over everything he owned, verse 6, he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself. How is that? With anything except the food he ate. This Potiphar, it says, he left everything and he did not oversee Joseph for the things he left under Joseph's charge. How is that? Managing without supervision. Some of us are only good at what we do if the eyes are upon us. But take the supervisory thing out, then we we'll quickly cut the corner. Yeah? I want to encourage you, be excellent even without oversight. Be diligent. You want to be favored. Come on. You know, I'm giving you keys to favor. You want to be ex- I love this verse. Tell you to be excellent at what is good. But it also says, be innocent from evil. Right? And the God of peace will crush Satan underneath your feet. Amen? God of peace will crush Satan underneath your feet. So in Potiphar's house, watch. Everything is left under Joseph's charge. Everything. Everything. Do you know what Potiphar's wife used that as a ploy to manipulate him? She came to him. You must read the account of her seduction attempts. The seduction went like this. Has not your Lord, my husband, left everything under your charge? So here I am. She used the very line for his favor as the means to rob him of future favor. You must be careful when God favors you. Don't abuse your liberties and the ploys of Satan. Because sometimes, watch, and this is a serious thing to us. God's been saying this to me, Randolph, I'm going to lead you into favor. But as you explore favor, don't flout principle. If you flout or you, you discount principle in the enjoyment of the favor you get, you disqualify yourself from expressions of higher and future favor. Potiphar's house was never Joseph's destination. It was simply a stepping stone to a higher realm. 
right? But if he failed there, you know, he, when she attempted, she forced herself on him, right? But he, he rejected her. You know what? He called a spade a spade. He did not call a spade an agricultural implement. Right? What did he say to her when she made the suggestion of adultery to him? She said, shall, he said to her, shall I do, shall I do such a wicked thing before my master? No way. He called adultery a wicked thing and not an affair. You get nice terms for these things. Or I'm having an affair. What affair? It's a wicked thing you're having. Huh? Huh? Me and Mrs. Jones, we got a thing going on. Spare wheel, an away game. All these terms we use for affairs. But it's a wicked thing. The person of favor, watch, serious warning. The person of favor must be very guarded as to the ploy of the enemy to rob him of future favor by making wickedness appealing. Right? But Joseph said no. You know what? He passed the purity test. Remember, Mary was a virgin. Remember? Joseph passed the purity test. He realized Potiphar is not my destination. My dream I had said, I'm going to rule. Remember his dreams. I'm going to rule not just this domestic dwelling of some officer in Egypt's household. God had rulership of Egypt in mind for him. If you truly understand it, when he would eventually come to Pharaoh, although Pharaoh was the ruler, Joseph was running the show. Second only to the Pharaoh. Right? Tell your neighbor, your present sphere of rule is not your destination. Honestly, brethren, I have to listen now to this thing again and update these notes. I'm speaking as I'm hearing the Lord here. I'm saying to all of you, your present sphere of function is not the be-all and end-all of what God has in store for you. But I hear the Lord prophetically warning us, saying, pass the test associated with your present level so you can go to the next dimension. Okay? Tell your neighbor, pass the test. So he's favored in Jacob's house. He's favored in Potiphar's house. Now, because, you know, when he said, shall I do such a wicked thing? The Bible says she forced herself on him. So there was a scuffle. He broke away. He balegged. Kicked down, right? Sometimes, don't think you're so strong. Me, I'm a man of God. I can withstand the temptation. Nothing can move me. Don't think you're so strong that you can't fall in a moment of fleshly weakness. Sometimes it's best to physically remove yourself from the thing that tempts you. Right? Flee the environment. Right? All the young people said, Amen. Flee the environment. Amen. Flee the environment. I've got testimonies about this, which I don't want to take time to say because we'll take the time. I had to literally had to balega. Remove myself physically, almost abruptly, to the point of being rude to the person. No, I'm out of here. Thank you. Leave the room. Right? <laughs> no when to say bye-bye. Yeah? No when to say bye-bye. Right? Genesis 39:22. So for that he lands in prison. She falsely accuses him of rape. Right? The Potiphar doesn't believe Joseph. He believes his wife without corroborating the facts. And he sends Joseph into a 
into a prison. Right? And what the Bible says, she grabbed his coat and he ran. He should have taken the coat with him, right? It looks like Joseph's coats always got him into trouble of some kind. Whether it was with brothers or with Potiphar's wife, that coat issue of him. The Lord said to me, "Take your, don't leave your coat, don't leave your mantle. A coat represents anointing, grace. You take that with you and you, you leave. Otherwise, they will misrepresent that calling, that mantle, that grace that you have. Misrepresented, right? 22 of 39, it says, So Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in jail. Notice, it's not an ordinary jail. It's only king's prisoners, not the ordinary round of the mill prisoners. Prisoners specifically imprisoned by the king himself. He's with this group of, of this breed of, of persons. It is only persons in this jail that posed a threat to national security that were put here. The king's prisoners, right? People responsible for treason or for insurrection, rebellion, or some kind of disrespect, dishonor to the king himself. So Joseph is with a bunch of dishonorable so-and-sos, right? All in the same prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. I just like this, eh? But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Everyone say kindness. I've been ruminating on the kindness of God recently. We serve a kind God. His kindness is inexhaustible. His mercy is unfathomable. He's a kind God. And God showed kindness to Joseph. He's with him. And he gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. God gives favor of Joseph with his father Jacob. God's the favor on jo of Joseph is obvious to Potiphar. Now in jail, there's the head warden, the head jailer. The Bible says the head jailer, someone likes Joseph. He can't understand why. I said any environment cannot depress favor in you. Wherever you are, it will showcase itself. But you must not let the environment constrain you. Because you are favored. Don't let your external prison imprison you internally. Rise above the limitations that you perceive. You might not be in a physical prison. You might be in a mental prison. You might feel my life is so circumscribed. So hemmed in, so fenced in, I can't seem to make movement. I, my, you know, in prison, your movements are limited, right? Yeah. Got the small cell, maybe got the yard every day, you come back. It's routine. Prison is boring. I can't imagine a more boring life than prison. You sleep, you go out to eat, you come back, you go to the yard, you come back, you sleep. And you do that for, if you're in prison for life, well, for the rest of your life. That's routine for you. Right? You need a landscape change. You need to see some, some new panoramic <laughs> landscapes. Right? I'm talking prophetically to you. Some of your landscapes need to change. Right? It's, it's too routine. Same thing every year. Every year for you is almost predictable. You're in prison. God's going to lead you out of prison. I'm here to encourage you. The sameness of your life is about to change. Some of you need some adventure. Now here, the Bible says, verse 21, The Lord was with Joseph and he extended kindness to him, gave him favor in the sight of the, of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail. 
so that whatever, what was ever, whatever was done there, he was responsible for. Joseph. Joseph even had the task of setting the routine of the brothers in the jail. Right? Every single day. He's elevated. Favor will always elevate you. Right? Now, here's the thing. The chief jailer did not supervise anything. Again, it says of him, the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made Joseph to prosper. No supervision. I'm longing for a church that doesn't need supervision. I'm longing for a, a, a caliber of a son of God that is maintenance free. You do the right thing even when no one's looking. Integrity in the dark. Right? Hallelujah. Come on, tell your neighbor, become a maintenance free sister or brother. Maintenance free. Right? I decree, listen, Kev, we're going to pray in a moment. The session is very prophetic. Think now. You might have been sloppy up to this point. Today it's changing. You might have been irresponsible to a degree or in some respects up to this point. Today it's changing. You're going to be a person of excellence. Whatever you do, even if you send an email. I must work on this. There won't be one grammatical error. You punch, be excellent in all things. Person of excellence. No, nothing sloppy. Listen, you're human. You'll make mistakes from time to time. I'm talking about how you are wired internally. Your pursuit must be after excellence. It says of Daniel, an excellent spirit was in Daniel. Spirit of excellence in the man. And yet David, uh, sorry, Joseph, nothing is, is needed for him to be supervised because the Lord made him to, to prosper. Okay? The Lord makes him to prosper. Now, here's the challenge that I want to leave with you. Remember, there were two brothers in the prison that had dreams. The baker and the, the butler. So, it was rumored that Joseph, who is now head of all the prisoners, has this knack of interpreting dreams. Because he's also a dreamer himself. The two brothers came to him and he gives interpretation to their dream. The, dream, the interpretation for the dream of the baker was in three days, Pharaoh is taking your head off. You're going to be executed in three days. The dream interpretation to the butler, the butler was the guy who was a waiter in Pharaoh's personal, personal waiter to Pharaoh. The interpretation of the dream prophecy to him was in three days, Pharaoh will lift your head. He's taking the one's head off and he's lifting up the head of the butler. The image of lift up the head in that context is you're going to be reinstated to your former position that you lost. In three days, this is going to happen. After three days, the dream comes to pass, right? And the baker's head is taken off, and the, the position of the butler is restored to his former occupancy. But Joseph said this to him, when you are restored, please help a brother out. Remember me. At least remember the one who gave you the interpretation to this wonderful prophecy. Help a brother out. The very next verse is, and the butler forgot. The but, you know when you, he's free, I don't know how long he was in there. But he forgets, he forgets Joseph. Pharaoh has a dream that cannot be interpreted by the wisest of, of his own counsel. Right? 
and he's perplexed as to what the dream means. Remember he dreamt the seven fat cows and then the seven lean cows, that whole, that whole scenario. And no one in Egypt, his wisest of men, could not interpret the dream. Suddenly, the butler remembered, hey, hang on, there was a brother who interpreted my dream and the dream came to pass. And he says to Pharaoh, this, this brew is actually in your, in the king's prison. Immediately he sent for, right? Let me just say this to you. If you don't experience the rewards of helping somebody out now, sooner or later it's going to come back to you. Don't be depressed by people forgetting you for what you've done to help them. There's a God who does not forget. There's a God who does not forget, right? And um, so Pharaoh calls him and interprets a dream. He says there'll be seven years of, of, of plenty followed by seven years of, of drought. He not only gives the interpretation of the dream, he says, and now this is what Pharaoh ought to do. In the seven years of plenty, build silos and reap and keep and store up. So that in the seven years of famine, you will have more than enough for this nation and he said for the whole world. Good strategy. Right? You got strategy. God's going to favor, I believe, some of us here, if not all of us, with divine strategy. Right? For, for some people's problems. Somebody got a dilemma they cannot solve. Please just say this, Lord, I receive it. Come on, just receive this word. You might, you might, you might think, well, what, Radoff, what are you saying? It could be macro, it could be micro, it could be on a massive scale. It could be your work colleague sitting next to you at work that's got a domestic problem. God's going to give you the solution, right? God's going to give you the solution because the favor of God will be on you, okay? The favor of God is going to be on you. Now, listen carefully. Here's a key. Why? How come you see in Jacob's house, Joseph is favored? In Potiphar's house, He's favored, right? In the jailer's prison, he's favored. When he gets to the, the political courts of the Pharaoh, right? the governor of all Egypt, the Bible says that Pharaoh uh, lifts him up and he makes him prime minister. And he says, only to me, only to Pharaoh will you be second. Listen, I want to read this. Watch. I want to read this. This is Genesis 49, verse 38. You've got to get this. The Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom there is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, he knows you don't have this thing of your own. This has to be from God. Right? He says, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you are, you shall be over my house. If you've proved faithfulness in Potiphar's house, there's a big house waiting for you to steward. I want to encourage you. The Bible says if you're faithful in little, God will make you ruler over much. Prove yourself. You know, some of us, we can't be faithful with the smallest thing, but we're anticipating dominion over big things. It never works. Prove the measure of favor that God has given you in the area of function you presently have. Before God's about to increase that favor over the biggest sphere that he's leading you into. Right? Come on, tell someone, be faithful. Be faithful. Just, 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 just hold your ground 
and be committed. Be faithful to the most simplest of things before you can be administrators of profound things in God. Right? God is true to His Word. Butlers may forget you, but God will never forget. He will even give the Pharaoh a dream his men can't interpret to get a Joseph out of his present prison. God will orchestrate things for your release. Right? God will orchestrate things for your release. Look verse 41, verse 40. You will be over my house according to your command. All my people will do homage. Oh, how's that? Pharaoh's saying to him, you just say it. All of Egypt listens to you. You just say anything, Joseph. The people will bow and they will respect you. From a prisoner to a prime minister. Come on, tell someone favor. Amen. I'm expecting, listen, I, was, I you know, almost feel like Pentecostal today. I want to jump. <laughs> I'm excited about this word because most of this is not prepared here. I sense the Lord speaking. God's about to change situations drastically overnight. But it's not going to happen in the vacuum of you being sloppy, not diligent, unfaithful, giving into the flesh, not keeping yourself pure telling you just stay some of you have been saying lord i'm doing bring all this when is the breakthrough coming i believe the breakthrough is at hand because god had to really test joseph you see for the measure of responsibility joseph would wield don't just think egypt egypt would become the salvation of the whole world by virtue of the economic strategy god gave to joseph joseph is going to head up an economic program that's going to bring salvation to the whole world and also preserve his father, Jacob. In preserving Jacob and the other sons, especially Judah, from the, line of the, 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 from the line of Judah, the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, is going to come. God raises up a man in such powerful uh, political ascendancy and with great responsibility to preserve the seed of Christ that's going to come from the line of, of Judah. Never ever divorce the prominence and influence God gives you to His overall plan to bless and save the world. You might not fully understand the details. You might not see the connection right now. But I'm telling you, be faithful. Be faithful. God will connect the dots for you. Listen to what Pharaoh said to him. You'll be over my house. According to your command, all my people will do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. He's saying, I will... I will not be greater than you, Joseph, in any other respect. You have full sway. Just in, in terms of order and structure on the throne, I am greater than you. Right? Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh put off. Pharaoh took off his signal, signal ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. Right? A signature of great authority, honor, and dignity attributed to Joseph in a day. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen. Right? Fine linen, kingly garments, but they also speak of the righteousness of the saints. Linen in the Bible is an image of the purity and the righteousness of the saints. It's also depictive of grace. Because the priests, when they came before God serving in the temple, the high priests wore linen garments. And God said, you must not wear Anything that causes you to sweat. And linen has this effect. Don't wear any. In other words, God is saying, I don't want human perspiration. 
I don't want fleshly effort. It's going to be by the authority of the grace of God functioning in your life. Tell your neighbor your sweating days are over. <laughs> your perspiration. We struggle to get ahead. God is saying, no, 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 no. I'll position you. I'll position you. I'll position you. But I will grace you for the task. I will grace you for the task. Come on, church. Your best days are ahead of you. There might be calamity on the earth, but I'm telling you, in the midst of crisis, the Christ in you is going to emerge with, with, with greater force and a tremendous way than ever before. Then he says, watch, moreover, verse 44, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one will rise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Okay? All right, and then it goes on. Joseph, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. What is 30? Denote in scripture? Maturity. So he's come, he passed a number of tests. There's one test I'm going to close with that I feel is vital for us. It's one turning point that really sets this brother off on this path of, 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 of favor. And then it goes on to explain um, all, all, all of the rest. The point is this. In prison, he interprets the dream of somebody else while at the same time his own dream remains unfulfilled. He helps somebody else in the same area where he's most needful. Was he a dreamer? Come on, talk to me. Did he have dreams? Was his dreams fulfilled or unfulfilled at the time in which he interpreted the baker and the butler's dream? Unfulfilled, right? Here are two brothers coming to him and saying, we have these dreams, interpret. The gift of dreaming and interpretations of dream is in you, Jacob, is in you, Joseph. So help us in this regard. If he was depressed by the prison and the seeming not going anywhere fast kind of experience he's having with the destiny of God in his life. It's like he hit a wall in prison. Oof, cul-de-sac. Things have stopped. Now you two bruise, you bake and butter, you coming to me. You're asking me to give momentum to your destiny when my destiny has hit a roadblock. In fact, it's not even in something far related. God is testing me in the very thing. He's graced me with dreams. You're having them too. You want me to facilitate the performance of your destiny while mine lies in suspension. That was a big, 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 big test for Joseph. Seek to Here's the challenge to you before we go. Seek to facilitate the destiny of somebody else in the very same area where your need is most pronounced. But you're saying, Lord, you see, you've given me this, this gift. You've given me this grace. You've endowed me with this talent, with this skill. I'm going to fast track someone else's movement, even when I seem to be in a state of inertia. I seem to be going nowhere. But yes, someone. You know, we were tested with this last week, Astronay. I don't know how many, how many counting sessions we did in last week, right? It was taxing on our physical bodies, our mental state, our time, etc., right? And amidst a volume of needs, somebody comes or phones, you know, at that time you want to say, not now, please not now, <laughs> not this now, you know, not this issue at this time, right? No, come, right? And they come in 
and the Lord takes you eye of your present circumstance, you prioritize the other person. And your issues fade into insignificance because out of love, you set the other's agenda as your priority. That for you is going to be a major, major precipitator of the favor. Do you know what? If Joseph did not interpret the dreams of those brothers, he would never have a voice in Pharaoh's court. The, bait, the butler one day remembered there is a brother who helped us years ago. So help someone in the very area. And I have a few examples before we go. Listen carefully. Genesis 20, 17. Remember Abraham lied that Sarah was his wife. And the king Abimelech wanted to sleep with her. So the Bible says, the, and, and God came to Abimelech at night and warned him, don't touch Sarah. Right? And then uh, the Bible says, the Lord shut up the womb of Abimelech's wife and all the handmaidens in his court. Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. They all were struck with barrenness. Now watch. Genesis 20, 17 says, Abraham prayed unto God and, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and the maidservants and they bare children. Here was a barren house, but Abraham has got this anointing him to break barrenness. And he prays to, for God to break the barrenness of Abimelech's wife and all the maidservants and the whole, everybody associated with the king. There was a female. He's suddenly productive. So this blossom, productivity, fertility hits the house, right? And the Bible says this, For the Lord had fast closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. That's Genesis, the last verse in Genesis chapter 20. The first verse in Genesis chapter 21, the very next chapter, opens like this. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised, and she conceived, and she bore a son. Here is Abraham praying to break barrenness in the lives of others when his own wife is barren. He is breaking barrenness everywhere, left, right, and center. But he comes home, oh, my wife. What about you? What about our destiny? I have this anointing to break everybody else's. But I come home. You know, if he was depressed, he would have said, Abimelech, heart is brew. Your problem. Huh? Can't I help you because I'm struggling with the same thing back home. Right? But I will use the grace on me to, to break what you are striving. And when the Lord, the Bible says, when the Lord saw this, he took note of Sarah. The Bible says she conceived immediately. Well, not me, nine months later, right? And she bore this, she conceived, and nine months later, she, she bore a son. Okay, we can't trust God for every speed up. I know we're going to deal with acceleration on Sunday, yeah, <laughs> Dr. Siggy. But certain things must take their course, right? right? I want to encourage you. And now, yes, my examples to you. But can you get the principle? Please, as you go, you're going to be tested this week, some of you, to help someone in the same area where you are trusting God for your own breakthrough. But as you position yourself for that other's breakthrough, God's going to say, wow, now my favor on you can grow to the level that I've intended because I see your heart. You see, later on in the series, I'll share with you that favor is not self-indulgent. Don't just think me myself and I when the favor of God rests upon you the focus is always you see God said to Abraham I will bless you and you will be a blessing 
bless you so that this thing can be a conduit in and through you and you will bless others. Okay? Here are the examples. I put on a few with my, the help of my wife. Okay? I'll just read them to you, then we'll pray. Are you ready? Watch the following. Number one, interpreting the dreams of another that leads to its fulfillment while yours remains unfulfilled. Number two, comforting someone else while simultaneously you yourself are discomforted. Number three, offering encouragement to someone that requires, your in, that requires you encouraging yourself first out of your own disappointment. The Bible says David encouraged him. Someone comes to you for encouragement, but you are discouraged. So it requires of you to encourage yourself in the Lord to encourage the other person. Favors always focus on the other person. God will bless you when you're corporately minded, when you're the other person minded. And then uh, prioritizing someone's serious need or situation in your prayer posture. The Bible says Abraham prayed for Abimelech. When by comparison, your need in that same area is not yet fulfilled. Some examples. Praying for a friend to bear children whilst you are still barren. Praying for a God-ordained life partner for someone who is single when within your own heart you long for the same for yourself. Praying to God to supply a job for someone whilst you are unemployed and you are still trusting God for a job. But you're prioritizing the need of the other unemployed person. What about this one? Giving financially, supplying someone else's need whilst you are in financial need yourself. It's a hard one, eh? I can do with this money, but I'm prioritizing your need above mine. Praying for someone's, sorry, paying. Sometimes you can't just pray, we must pay. It says, paying for someone's groceries, petrol, let's keep practical, right? Petrol, electricity bill. Telephone account, etc., whilst you have needs in these same areas. Praying for and facilitating someone else's healing while you are sick. The person says, You pray for my headache. You at the back of your mind said, If you only know what kind of headache I got right now, (laughs) you should be praying for me. Praying for and facilitating someone else's healing while you are sick. Praying, paying off someone else's debt while you are still in debt. Paying for or, contr- or contributing towards the payment of somebody, of someone's child's school or college fees whilst your fee account remains unsettled. All I'm saying is you can go on and on and list your own examples. Facilitate the need of the other while simultaneously you are in the vortex of the same need. You see, favor doesn't just happen. It's a done deal from the realm of spirit, but they are precipitators, activators to it. Amen. Stand with me and we pray. God blesses Joseph. Do you know, I won't have time to to really explain this thoroughly. What does Joseph's name mean, by the way? God adds, right? But do you know when Rachel bore him, the mother bore him, you know what she said? God has removed my shame. 
She's given me. The Bible says, I call his name Joseph. For God will add to me another son. Benjamin will still come, right? Watch. Why is Joseph named Joseph? His name strictly means the, 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 the disposition of Jehovah added or God adds. And you know what? We've only interpreted that economically. When we think Joseph, we think, yes, he has an economic grace, a fertility, success, increase, not so. But you know what? When you think of Joseph from now on, don't just think God adds. And Joseph means this whole fertile domain. Contextually, in the scripture, when Joseph is born, the mother said, and the Lord will add to me another son. The addition that is primary here is sonship. In other words, Joseph is the embodiment of sonship. And he will be the activator of the sonship of others. It's sonship that is added to Joseph. It's a whole sonship. God blesses the image I told you on Sunday. Not so? Dominion is given to the image of sonship in Adam. And when that is violated... Even the ground doesn't respond to, to Cain after he killed his brother, Abel. So God blesses a son. Joseph becomes the model son. And God blesses everything that he does. In Genesis 49, it says, And Joseph is a fruitful branch, a fruitful bough by the streams of water. And his branches run over the wall. Amen. Come on, lift your hands. Let's pray. Father, we are taken aback by your speaking to us. You've given us a model case study to which, of which we can emulate. And we sense, as you've spoken to us tonight, so many things run through our minds and our spirits even now. For some of us, we are conditioned by present prisons by Potiphar's house, by the bitterness of brothers in Jacob's house. We are beset by these things, but you, you have positioned us for greatness, that we know. We bow our hearts before you, loving Father. Forgive us of any ambition we have in our hearts. We don't want to be famous. We don't want to be known for anything. We, our only ambition is to be facilitators of what you want to do in the earth. Nothing more, nothing less. We are unworthy servants simply to do your will. We seek no greater honor than for you to use us to effect your will. So we want to remain humble in these things. But we do sense your desire to use us as a first company amongst brothers that will set a standard and a template for them to come into. Help us not to mar the model. Help us not to distort the template. Help us not to uh, uh, mess up the mold. But God, I ask even in this time, help us to pass every test that you lead us into. Help us to pass the purity test. Help us to pass the honor test, the faithfulness test, the excellent test, the diligent test. Help us to be faithful with little. Help us to prioritize the need of others and not just ourselves. Help us to make personal sacrifices for the good of others. I thank you that your favor rests upon us even now. Okay, come on, everyone lift your hands. I'm going to just pray a blessing. I pray the Lord will bless you. I pray the Lord would keep you. I pray the Lord would favor you. I 
pray the Lord lift up the light of His face and His countenance. And I pray the Lord would shine brightly upon you in your workplace, in your marriages, in all your relationships, in every context that you go to. I declare an end to your imprisonment. I declare an end to that, that situation, that context, experience that defines you and limits movement. I ask, oh God, for the adventurous spirit to be upon us, a spirit of exploration, of searching things out concerning your will. I pray, break the normality, break the sameness, break the boredom, break the, 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 the same landscape. Give us new vistas and, and, and areas to explore in your purposes, God. I thank you, O oh Lord, that you're going to use us to save a whole company, like Joseph saved a whole company of not just nations, but preserving the seed of Christ in the earth and the representation of Christ in the earth. Help us to always have that as our highest priority. Father, we bless you. For we sense your spirit, spirit of the living God. Come even now and dwell anew in every single one of us. I pray every single one of us even now receives you afresh, a fresh baptism in the power of the Holy Ghost, an awakening of things in the spirit. And I ask in Jesus' name, Father, what the enemy has intended for evil will work for our good. Like Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for my harm, but God has turned it for my good. I ask sovereignly now, bring every negative thing to conform to your ultimate purpose for us. Every negative word, every scheme, even the mistakes we have made. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are loving, patient God. We are so grateful for your perseverance and your patience with us. Thank you, Father, for not giving up on us. You are indeed a loving, kind, and a patient God. We are blessed to have you as our Father. What a privilege. Our Papa, our Daddy, our Father. We bless you. We honor you for your word. We anticipate great favor now. For your honor and for your glory and for your purposes being effected. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.